Hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope the message you're about to hear blesses you and helps you follow Jesus like never before. If it does bless you, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, to share this with somebody else so that they can be blessed by it just like you. And two, if you're blessed, I'm going to ask you to, to give, to be a part of supporting the ministry so other people can continue to have this resource. And so to give, you can go to cfmiami.org give. Thank you so much. I pray you're blessed by this teaching. Whoa, what a powerful time of worship. Aren't we blessed that we have an amazing uh, worship team and production team as well? Uh, they do a phenomenal job. Uh, you, if you can't turn around and just encourage the production team as well, they do an amazing job. We love you guys. Uh, we want to welcome you to Christ Fellowship. My name is Carlos, and I serve as the executive pastor here. And I want to take a moment and welcome all of our campuses across Miami uh, that are tuning us live right now. Our Doral campus, West Kendall, Redland, Coral Gables, downtown, and if you're watching us online, uh, can we encourage everyone? And we are in the middle of a series that we've entitled The Family Trust, and we're going through the book uh, of Genesis. And so today, uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to go through uh, most of this narrative in this chapter, and I believe it's going to be life-changing. So if you have your Bible, you can open them up to Genesis 15, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says. After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shields, your reward shall be very great. Amen? Well, you can have a seat now at all of our campuses. And, you know, many of you may know this about me, but I was born and raised in the city of Miami. I lived most of my life in the city, part of my life also in North Carolina. But being that I was, uh, I'm from Miami, I love all the local sports teams. And so I'm a huge Miami Hurricanes fan. I'm a huge, yeah, I'm a huge uh, Dolphins fan. I know we had a disappointing end of the season, uh, but I'm also a big, big Miami Heat fan. And uh, yeah, yeah, the Miami Heat. I have vivid memories of watching Heat games with my father as a boy uh, in the early 1990s, uh, watching Ronnie Cycli, uh, Bimbo Coe, Steve Smith, Glenn Rice. How many of you remember that old school people? Yeah, you remember those uh, names? Uh, but you know, throughout the Miami Heat era, uh, there's always, there's been some good seasons and uh, some bad seasons. But perhaps the best and most exciting era uh, for the Miami Heat happened in 2010 uh, when King James, LeBron James, joined uh, the Miami Heat. You know, in July 8, 2010, LeBron James would make that decision that he would form this big three with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Uh, and there was a lot of excitement uh, when he made that announcement that he was taking his talents to what? To South Beach. In fact, with that in mind, take a look at this video. Reaction. This is a reaction. First, we're going to go to Miami. When LeBron James said that he was going to Miami, the logical reaction that you'd expect. Even a Cleveland fan there, at least in a Cleveland jersey, seemingly excited. <laughs> Fellas are off the charts, wild crazy. I don't know how they let that Cleveland fan there, but whatever. But there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of energy. Uh, there was a lot of celebration. Uh, there was a lot of joy, hope, enthusiasm, because King James was taking his talents to Miami, to South Beach. 
And so on the following day, on July 9, 2010, we would put together, the Heat Nation, our fans, would put together uh, this massive party, this massive celebration that took place in the AAA where thousands of fans gathered together to welcome the best NBA player in the planet. And in that moment, that night, King James would make a promise to us Heat fans. On that night, King James would make a promise to every single one of us that pool for the Miami Heat. In fact, with that in mind, take a look at this video. Not one championship. Not two. LeBron, tell us about that. Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. <laughs> hey. Yeah, only two, right? <laughs> only two. Not one. Not two, not three, not four, not five, multiple championships. We are going to be a dynasty. We're going to win many, many titles. And he made that promise. But even the best basketball player in the planet made the promise, but cannot keep the promise. He made the promise, but he couldn't deliver on his promise. He said something, and he was not really a man of his word. Now, let me bring all of that over to our teaching for today. Because do not miss the point in all this. Because unlike LeBron James, who made a promise and could not keep the promise, God makes a lot of promises in Scripture. He makes over 3,000 promises to his children. But unlike LeBron James, God always keeps and delivers on his promises. How many of you believe that today? At Doral, at West Kendall, I'm already preaching today. At Redland, Coral Gables, God always keeps his word. Amen. But I don't have to tell you that us human beings, we are notorious for not keeping our promises. People fail on their word all the time. Maybe your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, they give you a promise and they don't keep their word. And because of that, it skews our mindset towards God. And we believe that God is just like us. God, can I really trust your promise? I know you say this in your word and I've read it so many times, but are you really going to be there for me? Are you really going to provide for me? Are you really going to take care of me? So oftentimes we have a difficult time trusting in the promises of God. And so we're going to learn today what God promises to his children and how we can trust in God's promises. Amen? So we love uh, to take notes here. So I want to encourage you to take out your Christ Fellowship app and take out uh, your listening guide. And this is the first point that I want you to write down today. God makes promises to his children. God makes promises to his children. Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, I love this. I want to stop right there because it doesn't say that Abram was worshiping God. It doesn't say that Abram was on his knees praying to God, seeking God, uh, that he was fasting, that he was meditating. No, it says that the word of the Lord came to him. Right from the beginning, from the outset of the Bible in Genesis, the first book of the, of the Bible, we, we read about a God who pursues us. God pursued Adam. God pursued Noah. And in this passage, he's pursuing Abram. And he appears to Abram. And then he says, fear not, Abram. <clears throat> I am your shields and your reward 
shall be very great. Now, many of us may be familiar with the narrative of Abraham. Abram and Abraham are the same people, the same person. Uh, oftentimes in the Bible, we would see that God would change uh, people's names. And so he changed his name in Genesis chapter 17 to Abraham. Abram means uh, exalted father. Abraham means father of multitude. He also changed his wife's name from Sarai uh, to Sarah. We see that in the life of Peter. His, before Peter was Peter, he was Cephas. Before Paul was Paul, uh, he was Saul. And he was changing uh, their identity. And so in this narrative, it shows us that for whatever reason, Abram is afraid. And what Bible scholars believe that the reason why he was afraid, we read in Genesis chapter 14, that he had just defeated three Eastern kings and King uh, Kelodemer. And so what he was afraid, even though he was victorious, he was afraid uh, that these kings, uh, eventually they would form an ally. Uh, the allies of those kings would, would come together and they would fight against uh, Abram and they would destroy him and they would kill him. So he was afraid of something that can possibly happen in the future. He had just won the battle, but in his mind, he didn't feel like he won the war. So he was afraid about the future. And I love this because if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God answers fear with promise. God answers fear with promise. Think about this for a moment. This is the man of faith, the father of faith. This is a man of God, and he is fearful. God doesn't tell Abram, ah, oh, you need to trust more. Why are you afraid? You just won the battle. How can you be living in fear? You just defeated your enemies. He doesn't tell him that. Instead, he says, fear not. I am your shield. Say with me, shield. 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 Now think about this for a moment. A shield can only provide protection if you're near the shield. If you are in front of the shield, you can receive protection. If you are too behind from the shield, it won't protect you. If you are too to the side of the shield, it's not going to protect you. And so when God tells them, I am your shield, it's meaning that I am near you, Abram. I'm not distant, I'm not far away, I'm not removed from you, but because I am near you, I am your shield. So he tells them not to be afraid. That is a, a command. You know, in the Bible, the greatest command, the, the command that we see the most in the Bible is fear not. All throughout scriptures, all throughout the Bible, we see that command all the time. And every single time we see the command, fear not, in some way, shape, or form, some type of uh, statement or version of it, after that, it says, fear not because I am with you, because I'm there for you, because I'm a sustainer. And so it always has the fear not command, and then it says that I am with you. See, the truth of the matter is, every single one of us, we all have fears in life. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, if you're in middle school or high school and college, if you're a grandparent, if you're about to retire, if you're, uh, you just got married, if you have children, if you don't have your children, if you're a single dad, a single mom, a father, a mother, every single one of us, we have fears in life, personal fears. What's going to happen uh, to my children when they graduate college? 
Are they going to continue to serve and follow Jesus? Or are they going to get lost and be with the wrong people? Uh, What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to the future of our nation? Who's going to be the next president? We all have uh, different fears in life. And listen, it is normal and okay to have moments of fear as a child of God. But it's not okay to live a life of fear. Let me say that again. It is normal to have moments of fear, but it's not okay to have a spirit of fear, which is why the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but rather of self-control and power. How many of you believe that today? You can give Jesus a shout of praise. We all have fears. You know, several months ago, I got a phone call from my primary doctor, and they were telling me, Carlos, it's time for you to schedule your annual checkup, your, your blood work. You haven't done it, and, and you, it's, it's time for, for that. So I go to my primary doctor. I do the exam, and they check all the stuff. And several days later, on my phone, I have the Quest app, which is where you get your lab results. And I get an email that my lab results are in. So I go on the Quest app, and I start looking through it. Green, green, good. Green, good. Green, cholesterol, good. Awesome. A1A, good. Green, 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 red. Oh, gosh. And it was one of those that I had no idea what that means. (laughs) So I went to the Lord in prayer and got on my knees and started fasting. Called my men's group and said, guys, I love you. Pray for me. (laughs) No. I went. Pastor, I'm going to be real. I've always been real. I went to Dr. Google. So if you're low on this, what does that mean? And I got a plethora of things that came up. Means you can have cancer. Means you can have lupus. Means it could be an autoimmune disease. Means it could be uh, something wrong with your kidneys. Means it could be something wrong with your liver. Means you could have something wrong with your brain. Means something wrong with your uh, heart. Means it could be a coronary disease. All these things are like, all of the above, really? It could be anything. So guess what? My appointment for the follow-up for my doctor, my physician, is until like four days later, and I can't deal with this fear and anxiety for four days. So my amazing doctor who comes to church, I go, hey, Dr. Pam, God bless you. Uh, Can I come see you ASAP? (laughs) I'm just being honest. And so so she's like, yeah, come. I think I came, not that day, the, the next morning. I was like... Dr. Pam, I got the results and everything was green and this was red. Am I dying? What's wrong? Tell me. Because and my mind started going everywhere. Fear would cause you to, do, to think all these irrational things. She told me, no, Carlos, you're fine. That's not a big deal. Everything's okay. You're perfectly healthy. But sometimes we can live that way because we get bombarded with all this information and social media and the news and all these fearful things. If you use this detergent, then it can cause cancer. But if you use this other detergent, then it can cause some allergies. If you feed your children this kind of food, then it can lead to early 
early on diabetes, but even organic food has toxins. So what do I feed my children? Because even organic food is not even completely clean. So do I just give them uh, leaves forever? If you take the vaccine now, something can happen to you in the future. But if you don't take the vaccine, something can happen to you now. And listen, I'm not advocating for us to be negligent and for us to not be informed and for us to live in an archaic manner. But I'm saying is at some point in life, we are to take away all those fears and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the sustainer of all things, the one who sustains this world has my life in his hands. How many of you believe that today? Come on, I'm preaching to somebody at West Kendall. I'm preaching to somebody at Doral. I'm preaching to somebody at Redland. My life is in the hands of the king, and he is my shield. And I love that because God tells him, oh, Abram, Abram, I'm your shield. God loves you more than you love yourself. Think about this for a moment. God loves your children more than you love your children. God loves little Johnny, little Amber, little Melissa more than you love them. God loves this church more than we love this church. I tell my children all the time, Bobby and mommy loves you, but who loves you more? And they say, Jesus, Jesus, because I want them to know that even though I love them so much and I love and treasure my children, God's love for us is everlasting. How many of you believe that today? God answers fear with the promise. And here's the next point that I want you to write down. God answers doubt with the promise. Look at what Abram, he's so real. He's so honest. He's saying, this is a father of faith. He says, but Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Damascus was a city known as a city of commerce. And Eliezer was the high servant who was in charge of all the servants. And he was in charge of all the possessions and the wealth of Abram. And then Abram tells him, in case you didn't hear me, God, let me remind you. Let me just tell you what I'm saying. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Now, just to give you a little bit of the story, in Genesis chapter 12, this is 10 years before this narrative, Abram was 75 years old and God makes the Abrahamic covenant with Abram. And he tells him that he's going to have children and his children are going to be blessed. Now, 10 years later, this still hasn't happened. And so now Abram is 85 years old. And so basically, Abram is saying, wait a minute, God, I'm, I'm doubting your promise because you gave me that promise 10 years ago and I'm still, it's 10 years later, I'm 85 years old and I still haven't received that promise. But I love how God answers Abram in his doubt. He tells him this, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Think about this for a moment. Let's insert ourselves in this narrative. Abram doubts God's promise. And God doesn't say, oh, you're so inquisitive. You're, you're so skeptical. You, you, you doubt so much. You need to trust more. You, you need to pray more. 
You, you need to fast more. You need to do more good deeds, more, more good works. No. In his doubts, God answers Abram with a promise. And he reminds Abram of the promise that he had for him in the past. You see, oftentimes we forget the promises of God in our lives. And we need to be reminded of the blessing and the benefit that God's promises are for us in our lives. You know, this past Christmas, a month ago, Shawnee and I, we received uh, several gift cards and some of them are to a specific store, uh, but the ones that we really like are the ones that are uh, MasterCard or Visa or American Express. And we received two of those. And so one of the American Express gift cards that we received, we used it for a, a, a dinner date and then we used it for other things. And uh, I, for whatever reason, I, I guess my math was off, I thought that there was, there was, the, the card was completely out of balance, like there was no more balance. And so I was about to throw away the, the gift card. And then, um, because it had declined somewhere where I went to, to a store, and I was about to throw it away. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, no, wait, wait a minute. Let me, let me go uh, on my phone, and I put the number on American Express. I put the number of the gift card, and I realized that the gift card still had a balance of several dollars. Now, not a lot, but several dollars. So uh, I took my kids, don't judge me, to Krispy Kreme, got them a couple donuts. So I used that card. I was like, oh, okay, this is good. I used it. But I was about to throw away this gift card and not use the benefit or the blessing of the card that I had in, in, in me. And I believe that that is a picture of how many believers live our lives. We don't take advantage of the blessings and the promises that God has for us in our lives. And we live this life holding on to our own ideas, holding on to our own efforts. We, we live this life not holding on to the promises of God. And I came to remind you, Isaiah 41 verse 10, this is the promise of courage. It says, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God and I will strengthen you and I will help you. That is the promise of courage. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, he gives us the promise of rest. If you are exhausted, if you are tired, if you are burdened, if you are anxious, if you are worried, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. In Joshua chapter one, verse five, he says, just like I was with Moses, then I'm gonna be with you, Joshua. Then I'm gonna be with you, Amber. Then I'm gonna be with you, Michael. Be courageous and be strong in the Lord. Are you holding on to the promises of God? Come on, you can give Jesus a shout of praise for that. And so I love this because in his fear, he gives him the promise. In his doubts, he gives him a promise. And then, write this down if you're taking notes, he then gives him the promise of grace. God answers with the promise of grace. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, this is a pivotal verse in this narrative. It's so important. If you're taking notes, look what the Bible says. And he believed, say when he believed, say it like you mean it. He believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you're taking notes, make sure that you're circling that word believed. We told you many times that the, that the Old Testament was first written in Hebrew and then translated into other languages. And that word believed in the Old Testament is the word aman. It's where we get the word amen. And it means to trust in, to have full certainty, uh, uh, to be assured, uh, to place all your hope, all your trust in. And I love this because oftentimes people think that in the Old Testament, 
people do not experience the grace of God. As believers, we read the Old Testament, we're like, oh, God is all about just works, 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 and the law and everything. And yes, God gave the Mosaic covenant to Moses in Exodus, but we sometimes think that the grace of God is not in the Old Testament, and we think the grace of God is a concept that only comes in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, we see that Abram, what, believed and that he was made righteous. In other words, he was made right with God. It doesn't say that Abram did or obeyed or did good merits or did good deeds or prayed or, or went to church or it doesn't say he did these things and then he was given God's righteousness. It says that he believed, then he was made righteous. That's why the apostle Paul writes a thousand years later, he says in Romans chapter four, verse one, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is justification by faith in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, before the Mosaic law, before God gives the law, which is a conditional uh, uh, a covenant that he makes with the people of God. We read in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 6 that the entire world was evil. And then in Genesis chapter 6 verse 8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word favor means grace. It's the first time that the word grace appears in the Bible. It's the reason why I named my oldest son Noah, because I want him to experience the grace of God. And then it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then Noah was a righteous, blameless in his generation. Why was he righteous? Not because of his obedience, not because of his works, but because of the grace of God. Yes, Noah obeyed, but he was not made righteous because of his obedience. He, he was made righteous because of God's grace over his life. You see, when it comes to us, this is the gospel. This is a picture of our relationship with Jesus. We don't work our relationship to God. We work from our relationship to God. Amen? We don't obey so that God can accept us because God has accepted us. Therefore, we obey we, the gospel is not something that we have to achieve, but rather the gospel is something that we receive in Jesus Christ. And so we see the promise of grace in his life. And then in that moment, God makes a covenant with Abram. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The word covenant is an agreement. It's a testament. It's a more extensive and more profound way of describing a, a contract. In fact, you can say that the Old Testament and New Testament, you can actually say, excuse me, Old Covenant and New Covenant. Now, words throughout time have different meanings. And so the word covenant, we don't, we don't really know the, the word covenant. We're, we're not saying, oh, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You know, we, we don't use that word because words throughout times have different meaning. For example, you know, my oldest son, was teaching me some of the cool words, which I didn't know. I thought I was cool. <laughs> Apparently not. Nah. He told me the other day, I'm playing around, I'm joking with him. He goes, Papi, stop the cap. <laughs> cap. I'm like, did you say something else? He goes, no, no, you're, you're capping. You're capping. Stop capping. Apparently, just so you know, I didn't know this. Capping means lying. I didn't know this. 
because words change throughout time. Now people clothes, they don't say wardrobe. They, the cool way of saying it with uh, not even millennials, Gen Z is, is drip. Hey, he has cool drip. Several months ago, I went to North Carolina and I was with my family and I was with my two nephews and we were having breakfast and my nephew's 21 years old. His name is David and my 19-year-old nephew, his name is Jonathan. And so my wife and I were having breakfast with, with them and my nephew says, Dia, the deal have Riz. Shawnee and I looked at each other like, what's Riz? <laughs> hey, I'm getting old. Riz apparently means game. Good with the, his words. He can persuade you because we're talking about how we got to know each other and all stuff. And I said, oh, game. I said, heck yeah. Shawnee said, heck no. <laughs> she said, well, I married you because of the grace of God over your life, boy. <laughs> hey, listen. I went from the friend zone all the way to the end zone, okay? So we're good. End zone, I mean marriage. I mean marriage. I promise you, Shawnee friend zoned me for like a year, but eventually we got married. So if you think that you get into the friend zone, you can't get with a person, uh, come see me. I'll tell you how, how I show you my riz. So, so <laughs> that wasn't part of the notes. So oh, 9 a.m., you guys are awesome. But hey, so words change their meaning. So we don't use the word covenant nowadays. But covenant has such a profound meaning, and it's a very ex- we can get really extensive and very uh, profound when it comes to covenant. But there are two kinds of covenants, and I want you to write this down as your point. Uni- uh, bilateral covenant, which is a covenant with conditions, conditional covenant, bilateral covenant, and then there's also unilateral covenants, which is an unconditional uh, covenant. It's unconditional covenant. So right now, God is about to make a covenant with Abram. And look at what he says. Now, this is going to be a little bit of like twilight zone, but stay with me because this is important. I'm going to illustrate it for us now. He said, but he said, this is Abram, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought, all him, he brought him all these things. He cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant. Say with me, covenant. covenant. Say it like you mean it, covenant. covenant. A covenant with Abram saying, to your offsprings, I give you this land. Now, that's a lot to unpack, but I'm going to illustrate this for us so, uh, so that we can understand this narrative a little better. And so I'm going to invite uh, Jordan on stage. Can we welcome Jordan? Come on, let's give it up for Jordan. My man actually got married recently, so that's why he's smiling so much. <laughs> but back in those days, when someone was going to make a covenant with someone else, here's what they would do. They would get these animals, a young pigeon, a heifer, a goat, a turtle dove. They would cut them in half, and they would put one row on one side, and then another row parallel, like to make a way. So here's what they would do. It was real. We're making a covenant, Jordan. So we're going to walk through these animals. And the point of that was the following. What that was illustrating is, listen, If I don't keep my part of the covenants, of the agreements, or if you don't keep your part of the covenant, what just happened to those animals 
let it happen to me. Yeah. Couldn't call your lawyer, Conan and Conan or Rubenstein. No. What just happened to those animals, let it happen to me. Conditional. I have to make sure that I do my part of the agreement. Thank you so much, Jordan. But if I don't do my part, let that happen to me. But I love this. I love this. Stay with me. Because when God is making the covenant with Abram, he's preparing, he cuts the animals, and he's waiting on God. And he's waiting on God. And he's waiting on God. Because he thought, it is mine. I'm going to have to walk alongside the, the, the presence of God. But look at what verse 12 tells us. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon them. And when the sun had gone down, it was dark. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. What does that mean? Every time you see fire, it represents the presence of God. In Exodus Exodus chapter 3, when God, when Moses, uh, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, the presence of God. When the people of Israel, they left Egypt, it was a pillar of fire that was before them that was the presence of God. So here's what happens. God's presence goes between the animals. And Abram is asleep. Why? Because this is not a bilateral covenant. This is not a conditional covenant. This is a unilateral covenant, an unconditional covenant. This is a foreshadow. This is one of the greatest foreshadows that a thousand years later, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God would come down from his celestial throne. He would live a perfect life, die a death that he did not deserve. He would take all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our suffering, all of our wrongdoings, all of our mistakes, all of our imperfections, all of our flaws, and he would take them on himself. And even when we don't do our part, even when we fail against God, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. How many of you are thankful for that new covenant that we see through Jesus Christ? Come on and give Jesus a loud shout of praise at all of our campuses. Doral, Redland, Coral Gables, downtown, West Kendall, if you're watching us online, it's the new covenant. He tells them, you're going you're gonna to sit this one out. He tells us that you're going to sit this one out. It's not works that get you saved. If it was works, you wouldn't be saved. Trust me, buddy, you wouldn't. And the greatest promise that God gives to his children is the gospel of Christ. Amen? And I love this. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because it's so important. God not only gives promises to you, but he gives promises to the family. To the family. Look, if you go back to the Noahic covenant, when God makes the covenant with Noah, look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah, and to what? his sons with him, I establish my covenant with you, Noah, just with you, no, and your offspring after you. And to Abram, it was not just, the covenant was not just to Abram, it was to Abram's children and Abram's children's children. It was a generational thing. In Numbers chapter 6, Moses, before they go into the promised land, Moses never made it to the promised land. Look at what the Bible says in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his what? Sons 
saying, you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. It wasn't just to Noah. It wasn't just to Abram. It wasn't just to, 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 to Aaron there. It was to the children and the children's children. It was a generational thing. It wasn't just to the father. It wasn't just to the mother, but it was to their children as well, which is why I love this. And we say this all the time. Our mission here at Christ Fellowship is to help you and your family follow Jesus. Not just help you in your walk with Jesus. Not just help you in your sanctification and your growth with Christ. Not just help you in your discipleship, but your family as well. Your children, your son, your daughter, your husband, your grandfather, your grandmother. We put a lot of effort, a lot of resources, a lot of time. We pray about this a lot, that we want to do everything we can to disciple the families well. Why? Because healthy churches are composed of healthy families. How many of you believe that? today come on if we want to see God do something amazing it begins at home it begins with the family and so with that being said I have some exciting news that we have been praying about this we have been uh, we even fasted about this we've been processing this we've been thinking through it we we God has put this in our heart and I believe that this is going to be so transformative this is going to be so life-changing for our families and here's what we're going to do at all of our campuses, at all of our permanent locations, beginning March, the month of March, we are going to start this new thing. We're going to open the doors of our buildings. And on Wednesday, we're calling it Wednesday Family Nights. Wednesday Family Nights. Wednesday Family Night. COVID is done. We are not, oh, oh we're going to be a scattered right? No, 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 no. There's something awesome, powerful that comes, that happens when the people of God gather together. So here's how this is going to work. If you have kiddos, if you have children, you can drop them off to the best kids ministry in the planet, our CF Kids, and they're going to provide childcare. Yeah, you can encourage our CF Kids ministry and all of our volunteers. They're going to provide childcare for them. Then... If you have a student, middle school or high school, we're going to transition our services from Friday to Wednesday so you can drop off your student to student services to the best student ministry. Come on, let's encourage all of our directors, all of our leaders. You can drop them off so they can learn about the Word of God. They can grow with other students. They can learn that their identity does not need to be in, in their friend, but their identity needs to be in Jesus Christ. Then, parents, you're not just going to drop them off and go to date night or go to the gym or write another email or go to Starbucks. We are providing small groups in our campuses, parenting small groups, couple small groups so that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. We have an amazing small group ministry. Let's encourage our leaders from our small group ministry as well. Oh, but Pastor Carlos, I loved Friday nights because, you know, the kids didn't have homework the next day and then I can just drop them off and I can go to day night. Listen, listen, I get it. I, I have three children and my oldest is almost in middle school and I, I see the amount of homework. But I say this with love and I say this with compassion and, and, and please don't take it in a wrong way. If we make the priority, we make the time to take our children to soccer, basketball, football, karate. My kids go to, my oldest goes to karate, uh, uh, ballet, dance. And we prioritize that. How much more should we prioritize our children 
growing in the things of God. It's going to take effort. But anything good in life takes effort, takes dedication, takes consistency, takes commitment. And there is nothing better than them growing on a Wednesday evening with other students in their relationship with Jesus. Your kids, your students, and you as an adult as well. Why? Because healthy churches are made up of healthy families. How many of you believe that today? Come on in all of our campuses. Give Jesus a shout of praise. Here's the last point that I want you to write down today. Make a promise to follow the promise keeper. Make a promise to follow the promise keeper. You know, my father and I, we have a close relationship. He's, he's actually out of the country. He didn't even know I was going to do this and probably still doesn't even know. But he's, he's my best friend. We talk all the time. He encourages me. He's always here in my sermons. And, you know, he's a man of God. But when I was growing up as a kid, he, he was not a spiritual leader. He was not a godly man in my young age as, as a child. But there came a point, he would not go to church often. He would go to church only on Christmas and Easter. And, but there came a point in, in October of 1997, I was 13 years old, uh, that he was invited to this event called Promise Keepers. And many of you probably, some of you probably have attended that. It, there were over uh, 5,000, 500,000 men that were in Washington, D.C. And uh, Pastor Tony Evans, Evans was there, and it was powerful worship, powerful teaching, and just very life-changing. And, and for whatever reason, he was kind of pushed and forced to, to go to it, and he made the, the decision to attend that, that event. And I remember still till this day that when my father came back, his life was never the same since that day. Wholeheartedly, I believe he gave his life to Jesus. From that day forward, he was not the man who knows all so much theology and, and, and he's not going to preach to you. He, he's, he's not going to do some of the things that, that, that I do or some of you do. But something that my dad has always exemplified since that day is that he's going to be the spiritual leader. He's going to try everything he can to be a man of God and to walk in humility and to serve others and to love others and to point us to the things of Christ. And I want to challenge you today, church family. There comes a point, like Josh, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There comes a point that you say, wait a minute, I'm going to make the promise. I'm going to make the commitment. Fathers, dads, I know football is awesome. I know sports are great. I know boating is a lot of fun. But there comes a moment, there comes a time that you say, wait a minute, I'm going to make the promise and I'm going to make the commitment that on Sunday mornings, I'm going to do everything I can to take my wife and my children to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because there is nothing better than living a life that honors God, that is pleasing to God, that is righteous before Him because God has been so good to us. Moms, comes a moment lead as well doesn't matter what other people have or other people think about you don't find your identity and possessions and position and and what you see on social media and what you see on magazines and what you see from, from 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 other shows and all that stuff your identity is rooted in the king of kings and he says you are his daughter and you have purpose you have a calling you are a leader as well and you're going to lead your family in the things of god how many of you believe that today but make the promise Make the promise. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to finish a little different today at all of our campuses. The band is going to 
play some music now. And we want to open up the altar for prayer. I think there's something beautiful that happens when the people of God come and they kneel before the presence of God. This altar, this stage is, the presence of God is inside of us. There isn't anything special about it, but, there, but there's something beautiful when we come with the posture of humility and we kneel before God as a church family. So as the band continues to play music and they're going to play a song in a bit, you can stay here, but at all of our campuses, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna open up the altar. And so in this very moment, I'm going to invite you to come and come with your spouse, come with your husband, come with your wife, come with your children. They're here and let's pray before God.